Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. China actually has a propaganda a, a, a system that's that's not only domestic; it is global, and it is constantly pushing out messaging to delegitimize the U.S. globally. That they, they're, it, you know, so so on the one hand, you'll have like these nice photos, you know, there's nice photo ops, and they'll look like they had a happy meeting, and they'll figure out how to spin a readout so that it sounds like it was relatively positive, but you know, you've got, and, and you can see like the, the, the tempo of the attacks on the U S the propaganda tend to tend to slow down a little bit before these right. meetings, but not completely. And so we've definitely seen a little bit of a slowdown over the last month. Um, but, but there is a much broader apparatus and coordinated strategy globally in multiple languages, not just Chinese. Um, a lot of it using American social media platforms like like YouTube, Meta, um, mm-hmm. Twitter, and also using TikTok uh, to really push out stuff that makes the U.S. look bad. And honestly, the problem is in a lot of these countries, there's a lot of people who believe it's really not propaganda. It's true. And it's, right. it's really easy to make that case. And sometimes it can be true. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 yeah. No, exactly. The, the, the best propaganda is actually true. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm well aware of the PRC propaganda efforts around the world, and that's why I sometimes bristle at this this sort of broad language when there are definitely specific instances that could be cited. The counterpoint to all that, though, is that there's also real value in establishing person-to-person communication uh, between the PRC leadership and U.S. leadership, and um, there's no need to detonate the progress of the last couple months with a particularly compelling column in the Washington Post, uh, noting yeah. to antagonize the delegation before they even get here. Treasury Secretary's general view is she wouldn't be the one to detonate anything. Anymore. No, no, exactly. And that, that's definitely that faction um, has been there in this administration and in the Trump administration. Um, a lot of economic interests in not allowing the uh, relationship to devolve any further. But Speaking of economic interests, let's talk about the third plenum. So the Wall Street Journal reported this week, foreign firms have yanked more than $160 billion in total earnings from China during six six successive quarters through the end of September. According to analysis of Chinese data, an unusually sustained run of profit outflows that shows how much the country's appeal is waning for foreign capital. So with that as the backdrop, Bill, have there been any updates on a third plenum and a possible change in economic policy? No, there's been no official updates. The um, in Yesterday's newsletter, I, I cited a column by the former editor-in-chief of South China Morning Post, this guy Wang Shangwei, who, who wrote about he wrote about the money leaving China and how that really the point, his point was really as much as the Chinese government wants to blame the U.S., it's really that people are spooked by the Xi policies and mm-hmm. that if they don't make some changes quickly, the trickle is going to become a torrent or something like that. And um, he mentioned in his column that the, in this, in this piece, I think he put it in the, in the paper, but he also has a really good Substack um, that uh, his, his thought of the day, but he, unfortunately he doesn't write every day, but it's a very good Substack. He's a very smart, connected guy. Yep. Um, he also wrote in his Substack that the plan was going to meet in December. And, that's interesting if true. It has not been uh, publicly confirmed. Um, certainly have been hearing, you know, originally it was supposed to be November. You people were saying now some people assume, well, it has to happen this year. And so the calendar is running out. So then it has to be in December. I think as we talked about last week, uh, they only, you know, they have to have a one plenum a year, one plenum a year. Uh, they had the second one in, in 
I should know, I, earlier this year in Q1. Mm-hmm. And so technically, they don't actually have to have another one this year. Uh, the the other hope has been that this would if this third plenum would be uh, you know one of the one of the rumors people have talked about especially in, I think in the financial community was that this meeting would um, recalibrate this um, out of the twenty party Congress last year it, it, language had been used before but it really was given renewed emphasis last year was this this line around better coordinating development and security uh, which really meant giving security a higher weighting when it, when sort of balancing economic development with national security. And, right. and so one, one of the hopes is that this plenum will recalibrate that back down to giving a relatively higher weighting back to economic development over security. I don't know if that's true. I, I find that I'm, I'm skeptical just given the way that she has structured his government and the people he's put into the top positions. That said, the security focus has spooked a lot of people both inside China, domestic actors, as well as foreign investors. And so, mm-hmm. um, so, and, and then the other point, I think I made this yesterday in the newsletter too, was this idea that the third plenum meeting in December is not confirmed. Uh, it's an idea that's out there because, you know, again, some people really think it has to happen this year. It doesn't actually happen, have, have to happen this year. So it doesn't mean it won't. But, but again, I think if, if it doesn't happen in December, that will also be another signal, signal to people yeah. that there's something going on or it just it just it will be a disappointment. And you know, it's interesting. I think today is the 10th anniversary of the third plenum of the 18th party congress which was this massive, you know, that 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 put out this this big reform plan that people all got all excited about like oh, it's the new guy she and he's really he's a reformer and this is great for the economy. Uh and of course 10 years later it looks like a lot of lost opportunities. Um and so I um I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a little strange, but this is part of the problem when you sort of try and you know they like they don't announce she's coming to San Francisco, even though we're right. assuming he's coming. They they you know they usually give at best ten days to you know at at worst like ten days to two weeks uh, heads up or about a week heads up before a plenum. Sometimes they give it a month ahead. You know, that's why we, everyone wa- waits for the monthly end of month Politburo meeting. You know, then you expect to see an announcement. We didn't get one in September. We didn't get one in October. We just don't know. But I think if your assumption is that it's going to happen in December and that that's going to be great for the economy or going to be another positive signal for the economy, I would just maybe I, I would just say that maybe. But we're we're not. Th- there's a lot of reason to think that that might not happen too. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting as you try to forecast the psychology of the investment community. I'm not sure what levers could be pulled to allay some of the fears about Xi and the security apparatus, because the power that's been on display for the last couple of years has been so expansive and unchecked, basically, throughout. Um, And so it's like, I would be curious to know what sort of indications investors are looking for coming well, out. Well, and of I a think I mean, one plenum. of the things that Wang Xiaowei pointed out in his piece was the updated counterespionage law and sort of the spy campaign. You know, spies are everywhere. People are being constantly reminded to look for spies or report on spies, and how that that is um, uh, not constructive to improving investor. <laughs> And business right. confidence. And, and it's like, could you imagine sh- she is not going to roll any of that back or or narrow the language? 
Well, that's that's the thing. They just they really just they really just started with that since it's, I think it the new the updated law went into effect August first. And you know you've seen we've talked about it on the podcast a few times, different episodes. You've seen you know a dramatic increase in the public presence of the Ministry of State Security, both both mm-hmm. on WeChat. I mean, just it's really kind of everywhere, as they actually said in one of their propaganda videos. Um, you don't have to look for us. We're everywhere. I Did think they say like we the, are everywhere? Or Great. something. <laughs> I forget the exact quote, but that was like the, the final line was like, don't you don't worry. You don't have to look for us. We're always there. Or something. Oh, so, God. Um, so, so, and, and I think that, that again, it, it, it's also just fits with C's broader, broader view of how the world is developing, the, the increasing risks to China, both internal and external. Uh, a lot of that hinges on the U.S.-China relationship. And I think in a, a, a uh, a diagnosis that the U.S.-China relationship is only going to get worse, and so I think mm-hmm. you know, going back to the earlier discussion about APEC, uh, I, I think realistically, both both sides, at least certainly on the U.S. side, I, I, I don't think they're at all um, confused about sort of what a positive meeting means. I think really the the, the expectation is the best case is there'll be some sort of, uh, as someone explained to me, a tactical stabilization. Yeah. And, and both no. sides. I mean, honestly, if you're the U.S., you don't want the U.S.-China relationship to go down the tubes right now because you've got the Middle East, you've got Ukraine, right? And if you're sure. China, you know, you probably you're dealing with all sorts of domestic issues. You you probably still don't want the, the U.S.-China relationship to become a mess. Although, as you again, I think as the U.S. gets if it gets more sucked into the Middle East and more sucked into Ukraine, eventually, if you've hardened your system enough, that then may present you may see more opportunities to do things that the U.S. might really be unhappy about but have less capability to respond to. Yeah, no, and it'll be interesting because I think part of, I certainly understand why internally the PRC messaging is the Americans are poisoning the well and deliberately sabotaging the economy. But I think the reality of what's happening is a lot of private actors are assessing the situation and saying, this no longer makes sense for us because the benefits are being outweighed by the risks that are omnipresent right. in this market. And that's, that's not the American government. No, no. And I, and I think so, so back to the sort of foreign, foreign money leaving, I think also what you're seeing, you know, and we, we, again, we've talked about this before, right? If you're, a, if you're a foreign company and you're looking at de-risking, reducing your exposure to China, uh, hedging, maybe move, moving stuff to you know w- whether in terms French roaring or pushing pushing some new new factories or new investment off to say Vietnam. You know you're not going to say, hey Chinese bureaucrat, we're leaving. We just need right. six months to get it done, right? You're going to do it slowly. You're going to say the right things to the Chinese government, and then you're going to do it, and then you're done. And so what we may be seeing is that you got a whole bunch of companies that over the last year have realized that. Just between the state of the PRC economy, the state of domestic politics, the state of the geopolitical, the, the sort of the geopolitical issues, especially the U.S.-China relationship, that they all, you know, they've gotten the message that they need to de-risk. I mean, Premier Lee, when he went to Germany over the summer, he, t- I think, his message to German businesses: well, well, businesses are the ones who best understand risk, and they should decide about what you know risk. And I think actually he may and be right, and the are. companies <laughs> are deciding on risk, and they're seeing that the potential upside of being in the PRC market or being so exposed to the PRC market is no longer, as you said, it no longer supports the potential downsides. And mm-hmm. certainly the, you know, the reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine woke a lot of companies up about what could happen in a sort of a, some sort of a worst case scenario, say over Taiwan. Um, and so I think you may just be seeing this confluence of individual 
corporate actors who kind of all came to some similar decision. And then it all sort of, it, it sort of builds to a crescendo and then it happens really quickly. All right. And that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of today's conversation and get access to full episodes of Sharp China each week, you can go to your show notes and subscribe to either Bill's newsletter, Cynicism, or the Stratechery Bundle, which includes several other podcasts from me and daily writing from my friend Ben Thompson. I'm an incredibly biased news consumer, so I think both are indispensable resources. But either way, Bill and I are going to be here every week talking all things China, and we would love to have you on board. So check out your show notes, subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. 